Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid. Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia back with you for another edition of the show. we got plenty to get to. We're going to talk about some potential DH fines in the National League Central. We've got our iconic stadium of the day. I don't think anybody that ever had a smartphone knows how to use a smartphone that will remember this stadium today, unfortunately. But nonetheless, we're going to go back in history and we're going to attack that as well. What's going on this morning, Joe? How are you? Oh, it's a good day, baby. We're making uh, progress in Black Book World, slowly but surely. It was a earth-shattering 24 hours in the wrestling world, which I know means nothing to you, so I wanted to, to mention it. But uh, but really, it seems like uh, things are moving forward. I just saw NFL Network just announced that uh, the virtual offseason will continue all the way through the end of May. So uh, I guess that's good in some ways, that they have connectivity How with all the good? players. Oh, well, it's good because they're... People you know what? We were book. continuing virtual through May. How is that good for us, too? I don't know. I mean, the check's clear. I mean, that's that's pretty the much po- The point is, is that they got to get on a field. They got to be meeting together. Yeah. I'm not saying that they should, but it's not. that's not good news to start well, the show, I, that they're not going to have any worse. OCAs. What could, could be worse than doing Well, nothing? I mean, if they extended it through June 30th, it could be worse. Like, right now, they just extended it through the end of May, which I kind of think that would be pretty obvious. Like, I, I don't think this was an earth-shattering thing, but... You know, okay. at least they're looking at maybe by June 1st, being able to lighten things up. Arizona just announced that they're going to try to start to open things up a little bit in some other spots. So those are positive things. So try to look at the positive here. I understand. And so am I. But the positive is not that they can't have any OTAs and have to sit and practice in front of their their laptop. I'm not saying the positive is that. I'm not saying the positive is that they can't do it. I'm saying the positive is that they didn't extend the date further or into June. I think that's a positive. That's all. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> you back Craig Joe Pizzapia in the corner. He'll just he'll just keep. Well, oh, but that's what I meant in the you. first place. I mean, that's literally what I meant in the first place. By it, well, like we're not extending. You didn't illustrate yourself that well. You didn't explain yourself that well. Oh, it's good news that we're stuck here for the next I five months. But it's only the next five months. Well, uh, I, I'm just saying, under the certain circumstances right now, with baseball having its discussions and the NFL saying, "Hey, this is a date where we're trying to extend it until." and the date didn't go into June, I think that's positive that it's in May, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think somebody didn't get to go to their storage space this week. That's what I think. You think somebody's a little uh, little upset this morning. All right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. You got me on this one. All right. Uh, let, let's start off with an interesting uh, story to start here, which is, uh, you know, really came down late yesterday. Uh, the notion that the ball in the NBA, and I, and I think that this is a pretty interesting story, but the ball in the NBA is no longer going to be uh, a Spalding ball anymore. And, of course, because we're doing this show, and it's funny, uh, Brett, uh, our producer, and I were talking about this right before we started the show. And, of course, you know I'm prepared, you know. like you, I mean, you, oh, Of course. I mean, you had 12 different balls right around you. If this happened during the show, I would have been prepared. So, of course, we got the Spalding ball here. And uh, you want to see it signed by Dennis Rodman, too. But, anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> I watched, I watched his car. He gave me a ball. I watched his oh. car. He gave me – that was a nice tip. That was a right. nice tip. Very nice. So um, anyway, regardless of that, Joe, I mean, I don't think that this will make a huge difference in terms of scoring or rebounding or anything else. But, man, that is like – it's strange to not to not see that Spalding on an NBA ball. Now, if you'll remember – a few years ago, and Brett could tell us because, of course, he has some uh, history with the NBA, but I'm going to say that about six or seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I'm not sure, they changed the ball. I remember this. They changed the ball. It was a different feel, a different surface. I actually have one of those, too. And the players hated it, and they went back to the other ball. I want to say seven, eight years ago. But this is a completely new thing, Joe. No more Spalding. It will be Wilson on the NBA ball. How did Spalding drop the ball in this contract? I don't understand. You got one job. You're Spalding. You got the NBA. You, you keep the ball contract going with the NBA. That's what I don't understand. So very strange to me. I, I don't understand how the, you let this happen, first of all. But uh, I do have actually a Wilson ball. Had I known you were going to whip out your balls 
I would have been prepared with mine, and I would have uh, shown you, you mine. You were breaking. Well, you there. showed me yours, so I figured I'll just show What'd you, you say mine. What you right before that, though? Uh, you know, whip out my my Wilson ball. You know, oh, it's in the garage. You heard me right the first time there. You heard me right, but. Uh, I, you know, the one thing that I always hated is, you know, any time you get a ball or you're like, you're shooting around or whatever, you know, you'd get that ball past you that had like everything was worn down on it. It would be so slippery. That was the worst. That is the worst thing ever. And people know what I'm talking about. Immediately. I think you either do or you don't. And if you know what I'm talking about, it sucks, but I'm sure there's going to be people that complain about it because the idiosyncrasies in baseball of everyone's, you know, the seams on the ball or, you know, certain bats and certain things, the idiosyncrasies of the hockey players and the sticks. It's absolutely going to be the same for these shooters in the NBA, and and people are going to have problems with that. Not from a rebounding standpoint, you're right, but definitely from a shooting standpoint, there's going to be a weird touch thing, and some guys are going to complain. But at this point, it doesn't really matter because the contract is a contract. What I'm going to say is, if you're going to change the ball, let's change the logo too. We've had the Jerry West logo for a very long time. Jerry yeah, West was Michael a great Jordan, player. Right? It's time to get Michael Jordan. If you want to make it Kobe too, I got no problem with that. That's fine by me, but I think it's time to have a, a silhouette of a different person there and uh, and kind of update with the times. Yeah, it would. would be, I think it would be excellent. I agree. It would be really good timing for it. It's interesting that all the Major League Baseball jerseys changed for the first time in, <clears throat> I think, 30 years from Majestic to Nike this year, yeah. too. Yeah, lots of lots of changes there. Lots of things going on. I mean, I know Under Armour's become just a huge company in terms of making jerseys and getting into the athletic realm of things and uh, you know, shoe wear, you know, they didn't have a shoe line. Now a couple did you of play years basketball ago. at all as a kid? I did. Yeah, I, played I, I was so right? bad at basketball. Oh, my gosh, I was so bad. <laughs> you know, the worst part is I was good oh at rebounding and playing defense. Problem is I was short. So that wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't the greatest uh, shooter in the oh, world. Well, I mean, that's the problem. And, and right. so I played, too, and I felt like I was a hustler and all my friends wanted to play all the time. And I would always play, but they were always a little bit taller than me. And so I'm just yeah. chucking up from, you know, three-point land, I have no shot whatsoever. <laughs> well, just, but basketball is a big man's game. Make no mistake it about is. it. Well, but I, my, my recommendation to you is do what I do. I play with my uh, my eight-year-old daughter almost every day, and um, and it makes you feel like you're Shaquille O'Neal. It's great. You know, you post up, and uh, you talk trash after. And uh, it's funny because my daughter loves basketball so much, and she has really just taken to it. She's very naturally gifted at it. It's made me want to get back into basketball, and I did get finally updated this week, like I promised you I would on the last dance. So that's very positive. Good. But uh, I'm with you. I feel did like you, after you, my daughter and after last coaching? dance, I want to. Uh, I was assistant coaching for basketball right, this year, yeah. and uh, I would like to do it again uh, next year. Because, How did you guys do? What was the record? Oh, uh, they didn't do that. It, it was it was much better. This is what they do for the seven eight year old group. What they do is. It's fundamentals for a half hour, and then they play just pickup games. But they play games. They play fundamental games. They do drills. So they're really teaching them about the game. They're understanding about passing. They're understanding about, you know, moving where you can move on the court, where the positions on the court. What You know, because that is what's crucial at that age is teaching them the actual game. Because playing games is just like the tallest kid just, you know, ends up getting the ball and then ends up shooting the ball where the kid was most aggressive. But uh, I think actually the, all of the actual fundamentals and teaching them the actual game and then letting them scrimmage for the last like 40 minutes is of the 90 or the half hour of the 90 was much better. And by the end, you actually see progress. Next year is going to be just games. So okay. that will be fun. So I will let you know what the record is. And I promise you, I will not be one of those fathers who lives and dies whether or not their kid's basketball team wins because that is kind of sad. It is. But I, but I will tell you that from coaching my son the last couple of seasons in Little League, is that it's it's still never easy losing. It really isn't. It's, and, you know, I hate to lose. Not easy uh, losing a few in a row. I should take it back. It's, it's I'm not. sure it's not. And my daughter hates to lose. So that's something that she I'm trying to get her to be better about. She is the Michael Jordan of this household. She hates to lose. She is not happy about it. Doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Doesn't matter how big or small. She has definitely got that Michael Jordan personality there, which is great because you know that's going to make her really good at it. But at the same time, you got to learn how to manage it because you got to be some kind of sportsmanship and appreciation for who you're playing. I agree. Well, listen, if she needs help this fantasy football season, I'll give her a copy of my purple book. The purple book. She, Craig Mish off and running. Craig Mish's purple book. Telling Whipping you. out his balls on TV, it. talking about his purple book. There's so many. Breaking things. up there. Breaking up there. Uh, it's PG-13. Audio is it's fine. It's totally fine. Do we, ha do we have a rating for the show? Do yeah, PG-13. What? You right? had a ball. You showed it on the screen. We're still doing the show. Brett didn't cut us off yet. What's the worry? Well, I mean, sort of. 
<laughs> sort of. We don't really know if we've been cut off or not, to be honest with you. We could just well, start talking true. and not really know. But this is what we do anyway, whether there's a show or not. It's pretty much the same. Whether the camera light is on or not, we are the same. That's why we're special. And I do mean special. Yeah, that's that's uh, for sure. All right. Uh, you know, I wish I had more of a succinct update with baseball, but there really isn't a ton new at the moment, Joe. It just appears as though we're waiting to figure out whether or not uh, the players are going to basically demand a salary or not. It was really interesting to uh, see ESPN's Mark Teixeira essentially say that the players should take it on the chin. And the uh, governor of Illinois also says the players should take it on the chin and they should just play and not worry about their prorated salaries. But, I mean, there, there's a part of me that agrees because I want baseball to start, but there's also a part of me that says, you know, you know, like how are they supposed to play for, you know, just revenue sharing and not their salaries that they were earning in, in the in the current season? Um, I, I don't know. I'll tell you how, because it's the right thing to do. And for once, for once in this players union, which fought to get out of basically indentured servitude. And now it's gone so far over to the other path. If you want to have careers in five, 10 years and people actually come watch you, there's people who don't have jobs right now. There's people who are furloughed. If you can give them a ball game, it really means a lot to them. Believe me, it does. It's the right thing for them to do. It's the only real public service besides charity that they can actually go out there and afford us right now. And besides giving away their money. So if you want to give away your money to charity, how about you just take a little less and go play the shortened season? And let's say that, you know, you say you love baseball. You say you love what you do. Uh, I'm sure you've taken less to do what you love to do. I know in my life I've had many, many times just to have the opportunity to do the thing that I love to do best. So if you really do believe that and that's your thing and you're you know, going to go out there and play, then good. And if you're not, then I think baseball players need to understand if you think 1995 was bad, if you think it was tough coming back from that and a lot of people just checked out with baseball, there's a lot more options now. And I'm telling you right now, it's a very dangerous game for them to be playing this is not the time to be greedy. I understand your rights are your rights, and that's fair. But I think what they're trying to do is put something out that's fair for everyone involved. Would you agree that it's fair, at least, to revenue share for this year in this particular instance? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not completely sure of that. I, I'd, I'd have to see what they project all the numbers to be because inevitably, Joe, if the country does change and there is a miracle vaccine, not to say that there will be, but if there is and everyone's allowed to go to games in August, in September, in October, that is going to change the revenue significantly, and they better be prepared to share that revenue as well, the owners, regardless of what's happened. So um, a lot more will be on this in the coming days for sure. It's, uh, it's an interesting story, no doubt. And there is a part of me that does agree that they should take it on the chin, but how much is the question? Everybody else in this country is taking it on the chin. All right, well, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today right after this, don't go away. SportsGrid.com, betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish here with you along with Joe Pizzapia. It is May the 14th, 2020. And of course, it's time for a little of this day in fantasy sports history and also fantasy sports birthdays. I got to tell you, the interesting part about delivering these uh, this day in sports and sports history is just kind of knowing the era that we're in. And I think that for the most part, when you're talking about April and May, for the most part, you're talking about two things. Well, three things. Major League Baseball, the NBA playoffs, and the NHL uh, playoffs and the Stanley Cup. So at this stage, that's where we would be if this was a year ago. Hopefully, that's where we will be next year. But the bottom line is that a lot of the things now, if you're watching the show every single day, and I'm not saying that you should be taking notes on it, but I am. I'm taking these mental notes because in a couple of years, what I'm going to be able to do is go back and say basically all of the spring of 2020 on this day in fantasy sports history, there was no history whatsoever. And uh, it's 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 really an interesting dynamic because now that we're starting to see things more open up and the governor of uh, Florida, as a matter of fact, said yesterday where I live that pro sports are welcome back. I think that we're probably looking at, uh, you know, some sports, I would say, in 
maybe early June to late June. I know we have NASCAR coming up this weekend. We have the big, uh, we have the big golf uh, charity there. So I, I really do think that for those of you who are sitting back and just kind of enjoying your family right now and forced to stay home, make no mistake about it, in a year or two, we're all going to look back and we're going to remember very vividly how little we had to experience and talk about. There just hasn't been a lot. So at any event, May 14th, let's go back in history and take a look at this day in fantasy sports history. I'll start it off. 1972, Willie Mays hit his first home run for the New York Mets. Uh, Willie Mays, of course, had an unbelievable career with the New York Giants, San Francisco Giants. Mays also yesterday in an interview saying that uh, how he keeps healthy and stays healthy is he stays active, he talks, he walks, he does all these different things. We've shown the picture before of, uh, of me and Willie Mays, too. And I, I think there's something to be said for the possibility of after Michael Jordan, maybe Willie Mays is the biggest living legend that we have in sports. I, I think in baseball he is for sure. And I think that people who are in their 60s and 70s that are all alive, I think they probably would say that Willie Mays is number one for them all time. But it was really unfortunate. He left San Francisco. He ended up playing with the New York Mets in, uh, in 1972. And essentially, that was uh, the end of Willie Mays' career. I'll always remember that 1973 Mets tops card that he had where he's just kind of holding the bat. Uh, I think I have that card somewhere. I'll have to find it. Uh, you, get, you guys know how I like the cards. Uh, 1981... The Celtics beat the Rockets four to two, four games to two, to win the 1981 championship. And this was the beginning of Larry Legend, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, uh, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, and all of the great players that played for the Boston Celtics for many, many years. And uh, really cool to see those guys uh, start what ended up being a tradition in Boston, which was a lot of winning. And it almost became uh, Boston and then L.A. and then Detroit and then the Michael Jordan Bulls and in between the Houston Rockets for a couple of years. But uh, 81 was uh, you know, the beginning of Magic, the beginning of Bird. And it's interesting that Houston was involved in the uh, NBA Finals because I don't remember Houston being that good in the 80s. That's, uh, that's definitely for sure. All right, moving over to 1996. Dwight Gooden, yes, throws a no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians as Gooden's career comes full circle, starts off in 84-85 with the Mets. His career, of course, fades with all of the issues that he had and drug abuse that he had. And then for one shining moment, just resurrects himself and, and actually was pretty good with the Yankees as they went on to win a World Series in 1996. But that was a big moment where Gooden ended up throwing that no-hitter. And then, of course, all of the New York Yankees end up carrying him off. And, and I think that, Joe, that was probably the last big moment for Dwight Gooden as well. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, Dwight Gooden, still to this day, in my opinion, the most beautiful pitching motion I've ever seen. Just effortless. Uh, it was just an incredible thing to watch. I mean, you know, you could talk about mechanics all you want. You could talk about all these different gurus of pitching. But the natural mechanics of Dwight Gooden is still better than anything I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody throw the ball that hard, that effortlessly ever in my life. You know, we've seen other guys throw harder, maybe, but a lot more effort going there. Uh, and it was very sad, actually, as a Mets fan to see him throw a no-hitter for the Yankees. It was bittersweet. I was happy for him. But you see him being hoisted up in a Yankee pinstripe uniform. There's just something as a Mets fan that just does not sit well with you. It's it's just not cool. And uh, again, he's one of these tales of what could have been. He was uh, up at a very, very young age in the 80s in New York City where there was so many drugs and so many things going on and everybody wanted to be a friend and everybody wanted to party and you were a rock star if you were a baseball player in New York City in the 80s. And I think it was very difficult for him to deal with. And unfortunately, obviously, we all know he's continued to battle those demons all throughout his life. But this was one of those great moments for him. But I don't know. I'm trying to equate it, Craig. You know, those first couple of years of a pitcher, you know, 84, 85, Dwight Gooden, it's about as good as it gets for a pitcher in his first two years, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, basically was as dominant as any pitcher has ever been in the first two years of his career, for sure. And by the way, Daryl Strawberry goes on with the Yankees, too. <laughs> Don't uh, rub it in. You got anything else for me? You want to talk about David Cohn? Huh? Not today. We'll skip. All going. right. Thank goodness. Uh, Magic Johnson in 1996 also uh, retired for the second time. Remember, of course, Magic uh, tested positive for HIV. He ended up retiring. He came back and then played a few games, and then after coming back the second time, he ended up retiring. And, uh, you know, it's it's really an interesting topic 
because as we were watching The Last Dance, me and my wife, um, my wife asked me about that. And she's like, didn't Magic Johnson at one point test positive for HIV? Like, what, what happened with that? Like, you know, because it just was so serious at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's serious now, but it was so serious at the time that we all thought that Magic Johnson was going to pass away. And it just shows you. And, and maybe that should give us some hope now for everything that's going on to show us that, hey, look, there is light at the end of the tunnel. A lot of people who had that disease went on and have gone on to live you know, a long time, and it really hasn't affected them. Hopefully, we'll uh, be heading down that road as well with this. Well, this is one of those moments, too, when he did retire that, or, you know, retire when he announced that he had was HIV positive. That was one of those moments where I think it was larger than sports. And I remember it felt like the entire world stopped. It was all anybody talked about. It was all going on in the media, uh, could talk about even on the nightly news. It wasn't Sports Center. This was the news talking about it. And uh, it certainly was a shockwave, I think, for everybody. And, and it put a face on it, too. And, and at the time, put a straight, heroic, athletic face on it, too, which was very different at the time for what the preconceived notions of that disease were. So it was very important there in terms of timeline, but even more so important that, you know, Magic Johnson, you know, has continued to be an activist for it and can eh, look, he lives a very productive life. We all know that he seems to be doing quite well. And that's wonderful. But that was certainly one of those moments. I, I'm trying to remember what year that was. Was that 93 when that actually happened or 92? I, I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. I think it was 92. But my goodness, like that was one of those moments where every I feel like the world just stopped. Yeah, it was uh, a moment that we'll never forget for sure. All right. Uh, we move on from a note to a more positive note as we take care of our Uh, birthdays here on this day in fantasy sports history we've got our birthdays for may the 14th actually have a somber note here too i lied we got more somber (laughs) you're slipping in the somber every time you get a chance we got issues today all right uh we'll start off in 1942 tony perez was born uh finally got himself into the hall of fame 15 20 years ago i thought that that was overdue should have been in with all the other big, big red machine guys but it took him some time to get in and then he went on to be uh, the manager and the manager of the Marlins a couple different times as well and was a special assistant for a long time uh, as well. Uh, 1955, El Presidente, Dennis Martinez, great starting pitcher for the Montreal Expos and then, of course, played for a couple different teams, including the Cleveland Indians toward the end of his career. Uh, Tony Siragusa, very popular uh, player and even more popular announcer. Now, the thing that struck me, Joe, about Tony Siragusa is that for many, many years, I could always picture him announcing from the sideline. But I don't think that it hits me as much as he uh, his games that he does. Like he, I always used to really enjoy it, and now I can't even picture him doing it for some reason. I don't know why. I'm, like, I'm not sure if he is still doing it. <laughs> Maybe that's why. I mean, I'm trying to remember it myself. Do we just take it for granted now? I guess we do, because the, the famous team wasn't him and uh, Moose Johnson, Darryl right? Johnson. Yeah, Moose Darryl Johnson. Johnson. And, uh, and there was a third guy in the booth, too, who was the... Uh, the play-by-play, and I don't know why it's escaping me who that was, and I don't know if you recall, but uh, Tony Saragusa, one of the great characters in the NFL, too, was a hell of a defensive lineman. I have been to Tony Saragusa's sports bar up here in North Jersey, and it's pretty good. Good wings have uh, there, but I should expect nothing less. I mean, if Tony Saragusa's restaurant doesn't have good wings and good food, then, I mean, what are we doing We're in here? big trouble. And we're all <laughs> we're in big, big trouble. All right. Uh, now the sad part, Roy Halladay's birthday would have been today in 1977. ESPN's got their 30 for 30 coming out on Roy Halladay, which we've discussed at length. I'm very much looking forward to that. I'll share my Roy Halladay story. I'll save that for uh, for the documentary because I do have an interesting one there. Uh, 1983, Frank Gore was born. It feels like a 1903. But yes, Frank Gore continues to play. <laughs> In the NFL and play at a pretty high level. Whenever he plays, he plays pretty well. So what are, what else is there to say about Frank Gore, who's now member of the Dastardly Jets? And then Rob Gronkowski, I just did not see this coming. I did not see Gronk coming out of retirement at all and signing with the Bucks. I don't know what he'll do this year, Joe, but... You know, the Brady thing was surprising, but not shocking. The Gronk thing was shocking. Like, I just, I didn't I see him. I didn't see him just stopping I, I thought he was really enjoying what he was doing he was and i think you know down in florida he can continue to do that 
You know, he's down there. The Performance Center for WWE is down there. He signed that one-year contract with WWE. That's not going away. He is still technically 24-7 champion since WrestleMania. That's so a huge belt right there. It's a huge belt. So huge. technically, he is going to show up on WWE TV again at some point in time to do something, to either drop that belt or something like that. Uh, but it's funny. You, this list of names and talking about personalities and things like that. Dennis Martinez, you know, long career, but a, a, a fun personality. Uh, Tony Saragusa, another guy, really fun personality. Rob Gronkowski. This is a this is a group that I think good you want to party with. Yeah. Gronk and Saragusa. Yeah, good list today for sure. Uh, so Gronk or is the twenty four seven champion, right? That is correct. It is so their who's, stupid who's the, gimmick who's, belt. Who's the three sixty five champion? There is no three sixty five champion. WWE okay. created a stupid little comedic thing here with a twenty four seven champion. Come up with a belt. I, I want to I want to uh, be in that conference room where they're like, what can we call the belt? Oh, I don't know. 24-7, yeah, that'll That's get right, because you have to defend it anytime you have a referee. You have to defend the belt. Every time someone can challenge you at any given time, day or night, doesn't matter. Day or night. It's it's comical. They've done a lot of comedy bits with it. They're trying to, and, and Rob Gronkowski is one of them. He is one of the comical bits they have done with that belt. So uh, a couple other people, some other people, NFL guys, and some other people have had the belt. It's been uh, quite a list over the last year. All right. Well, listen, as long as we can acknowledge that it's a little bit of a comedy bit. Though. It's an anno- it is a comedy bit. It's not a little bit. It's all it is. All right. And coming up next, what we're going to do is dive into the basically one NBA season that was featured on The Last Dance, the one that Michael Jordan didn't play in because he was trying to play baseball. We'll have that next on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you. And as we've been talking a ton, this is the final weekend of the last dance joe this is it coming up this weekend on sunday the final two episodes we were cruising very nicely through episodes one through six and then seven and eight came and there's been a ton of controversy of course over those because they featured when michael jordan went to play baseball and basically pictured him as a player that essentially would have succeeded at major league baseball my wife said why did you say that michael jordan wasn't good at baseball they said he was good. What do you know? You know? Um, and so I had to respond, listen, hitting 200 isn't good. Like, he may, <laughs> have, he may have held his own, but essentially, uh, Tim Tebow has accomplished more than Michael Jordan has at the minor league level. And she said, well, no, that's not what they're saying. I'm like, well, you know why? Because Michael Jordan had the authority to run this documentary and approve and not approve. And I don't think that he wanted to look like he couldn't play because trust me, when I tell you, I give him a lot of credit for working hard and being there in the morning and being there at night, all those things are true, but the guy could not play baseball. He tried. He just did not succeed. If he succeeded, he would have still played baseball. So I don't know where that all was coming from, but I can understand the backlash that's come from this. And a lot of people have basically turned heel a little bit on the documentary saying, Hey, you know, like this, this was the point where, they needed to show failure, and they really failed at showing failure, I think. Well, but, and then they, worst off, they they kind of played it off like, oh, he decided not to come back because of the strike. Oh, okay, maybe that was part of it because he didn't want to cross picket lines and all that stuff. That's sort of kind of fair, but at the same time, 200 is 200. Granted, he did start in A. That's not the easiest level to be starting at. The most raw talent in minor league baseball is in A. I give him, a, I absolutely give him credit for competing and not ultimately completely embarrassing himself. And I forgot that he had played for Terry Francona. I had forgotten that he was his manager there. And I saw Tito pop on there. I said, oh, my goodness, that's right. Terry Francona was his manager. And, yeah, he did drive in 50 runs. And, yeah, he did have a 13-game hit streak. But he still hit 200. And over an entire double-A season, you got to do a, a lot. You have to earn 200. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Tim Tebow has accomplished more than Jordan. And Tim yeah, he's Tebow also not 31 when he started playing baseball. I'm not sure how Tim Tebow is now, but I want to say he was, what, 27, 28 by that yeah, time? I, I'm not right. sure. But, you know, look, I, I get Tim Tebow and Jordan, as far as I'm concerned, they both succeeded at the attempt. But they didn't get to the show, and that's really the key when it comes to this, I think. So, But anyway, the two years, well, year and a half, essentially, that Jordan was out, 
it was really dominated, Joe, uh, by the Houston Rockets. They finally had their opportunity there with Jordan not being in the league. And that was when we saw Hakeem Olajuwon become the uh, league MVP and also become the player that I think will go down in history as probably the second best player in that 10-year period that Jordan won those championships. Yeah, he really was. And let us not forget when last we did the 1984-85 season, uh, this was 10 years earlier where he was the number one pick in that same draft with Jordan. So this was his shining moment and his spotlight. And it was against the Orlando Magic up and coming at the time with Shaquille O'Neal, who is incredibly exciting to watch, was ripping down backboards and breaking glass everywhere. Uh, something the NBA had never seen, somebody that big, that fast, that athletic. I know I never saw it. And I don't know if we've ever seen it ever since. I mean, let's be honest with you. Shaquille O'Neal was a freak of nature. That team with Benny Hardaway, Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott was incredibly fun to watch, incredibly entertaining. But they ran into a buzzsaw of the Houston Rockets. And uh, this was also Clyde Drexler's moment as well. Because Drexler, you know, before too, they just they could not could not beat Michael Jordan, just like the Knicks, just like a lot of other teams really struggled. However, this was the year where the Knicks were able to beat the Bulls in the playoffs, which was right. uh, finally that plus. They showed that, and that was, you know... Can I say I something real quick? Did, sure, did you, absolutely. Did you watch, did you watch, I apologize, did you watch that those two episodes on Sunday I night? I did. I watched them last night. Did they, skip, did they skip showing uh, Pippen taking a three-point shot and missing and getting fouled against the Knicks when a lot of people... I mean... Well, that yes. was, was I, I thought that was a big moment in that series. It was, and and then I I remember I was talking to my wife. I'm like, you know, maybe I remembered this wrong, but no, I, I thought it right. was I think it was a lot closer than people thought. Well, it and was a seven was, game series yeah, too. One. Yeah, it was a seven game series. And I'll tell you what, I mean, when I think of that nineties Bulls team, what comes to mind the most is the Knicks. And you know what Jordan said it himself. He loved playing in the garden. The garden was his spot. That's what he wanted to always oh, perform. Yeah. And uh, he always did. And the Knicks were always ready for him. And there was this this love-hate relationship where everybody, you know, in New York loved Michael Jordan, the player, but they hated Michael Jordan oh, yeah. at the same time. So it was incredible to watch. I mean, there was there was Mars Blackman himself, Spike Lee, yelling trash at Michael Jordan. Meanwhile, he's in the commercials with Michael Jordan. I mean, it was a very tricky situation there for that. And uh, it, it's what made it so fun and so fiery. And obviously Michael Jordan coming back in the season later on wearing number 45, but again, they came up short. Uh, also, the San Antonio Spurs were quite good, too. This is kind of the beginning of the Spurs putting yes, things together. Yes, that You would yes. start to see that little mini, I don't say dynasty, but that run that the Spurs had. Oh, I think they did have a dynasty. Would they you call it a dynasty? Finals. I mean, oh, I guess you gosh. can. They, for how many years were they either in the finals or playing for the finals? And they won you know, championships, Duncan too. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, they won. Believe. Did they win three championships? I have to defer to Brett on that one. I know they won two. I, I know they didn't win three in a row. They that. did not win in a they won row. Four no. championships. They won four. All right, dynasty it is. My bad, dynasty, boy. Sometimes, sure. it's, no a, sometimes you know, it's a know what, what I love about this conversation, and I think that you feel the same way, is that it brings you back to all of those stars that we've forgotten about. And that's the one thing that I have been uh, during this time getting more back into and, you know, just going down this rabbit hole of eBay and different baseball, uh, basketball cards, checking what my old cards are worth and everything like that. But I know they showed Gary Payton on the last one. Of course, you know, everyone knows. But like to, to go back and to see how good, uh, you know, Steve Nash was back then. Jason Kidd, how good? I mean, I mean, I forgot how good Jason was, Kidd, Kidd was at that time. I forgot Jason about Kidd, Ray this, Allen. Ray Allen, Ray Allen, Ray Allen. When he got to Boston and when he played with the Heat, he's just shooting threes. But Ray Allen, you you go back and look at the old highlights from '98, '99, 2000, all the way to like 2002, three. I mean, he was driving to the hoop. He's do like. Th those guys were just amazing. And the golden age of the NBA. Craig. I forgot. I forgot about all of that. And I, and by the way, the other thing too, that has brought awareness is that the, uh, like also in terms of like cards and value too. the one that's really been affected by the most of all this has been Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, I, I really like no one realized. And, and I know that Shaq's on TV and all that, but my gosh, like Shaq won so many championships was and I know that there's some debate that Olajuwon may have been better than Shaq. Inevitably, I'm not sure. But Shaq Different was a game. winner. Shaq was a winner for like 12 years in a row, or something like insane, of going to the playoffs, going to the finals, being with. And then at the end, it was just a disaster. But like, really amazing stuff that I and I, I like going back and seeing all those players. And, and oh, I uh, love it. I miss it. This is the NBA that I miss. This is the NBA. But maybe, that I but maybe we're missing it. I think maybe. No, we're I don't think it. we are. I think, I think we are. 
But you see what you were people just saying? People love you're the talking, NBA still. They, they do, do, but even the people who love the NBA, like my friends, like Benny Ricciardi, who I always worked with and stuff like that, he he's the first one to tell you in the last couple of years, last decade almost, these weird super teams, it's kind of drained everything because you have the inevitability of it's the Warriors and who? It's the it's the it's the Lakers and this like you knew yeah, who was going to be it. You just talked right now the Spurs. You talked about Houston. You talked about the Mavericks at certain times with Jason Kidd. You talked about all of these players in different spots, and that was why it was so glorious because every team had more than one star on it, and every night you could just pop on a random game and be interested. It's gotten better this past year. I know with free agency things kind of opened up a little bit, but check this out. This is the rookie team that year. You want to talk about some talent? The rookie team, Jason Kidd. Uh, Grant Hill, Glenn Robinson. I mean, Grant Hill, another guy who was in tremendous talent, yeah. but Jason Kidd to me, my favorite point guard of all time. Like I just loved watching Jason Kidd play point guard. It was a magical thing to watch. I know everybody else loves Magic Johnson. I like Jason Kidd. Maybe, maybe it's because I lived in Jersey. I don't know why, but uh, that was the guy too. But you know, as great as Olajuwon was that year, he was not the MVP. Oh, I actually, thought he was. I was David spoken. Robinson was uh, actually MVP Another that year. He was uh, Olajuwon was MVP of the finals. Maybe that's what you were thinking. Uh, rookie of the year was Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. Uh, defensive the player of the year, Dikembe Mutombo, our guy. Uh, Anthony Mason, sixth man of the year, and Dell Harris, coach of the Lakers was coach of the year, but you look back, you're right. It was Shaquille O'Neal scoring 29.3 points a he game. Was, and dominant. I can't believe how good he was. And, and I really forgot how fast it was. Because remember what happened, how fast he was. That was the difference. What, what happened was, is that I, my mind's eye immediately with Shaq goes to two things. The first game. Well, first of all, I was at a game that he played LSU against Florida. And then I was at his first ever game for the Magic against the Heat in Orlando. We drove from from Gainesville to Orlando to see Shaq's first game. And then uh, my mind's eye immediately takes me to when he was with the Heat. And that's it. And I forget all those years with the Magic and all those years with the Lakers of winning all those championships. Yeah. Like, I ju it just totally, uh, you know, it, it just totally slipped by me um, as to how dominant he was. And I don't think there'll be another player like him again. But I will say this. Now... This is no indictment on LeBron James, who is going to go down when it's all said and done as two to Michael Jordan's one. I, I, I am certain of that. But um, I think what we've been hurt with is that Jordan played on the same team for all of those years. I think had LeBron stayed in Cleveland or even stayed in Miami when he went to Miami and played for the same team for 15 years, it would have always been that association with, with LeBron and the players that played with LeBron and the different teams that he put together to either get to a championship or win a championship, because basically every year LeBron's been in the league, he's either got to a championship or been in a championship, more or less. And I think that has hurt, but I don't blame him for doing what he did at all. I don't hold it against him, but I think that, to me, um, you know, the well, second— he was frustrated. He was looking for his pippin. You know? like four, I mean, it's just, it's just a lot. Well, he was. He, I think LeBron was kind of in search of his Pippen. He was in search of somebody else to take a little of the burden off. And the way I personally look at it is it's Jordan and everybody else because Jordan played in this era that we just rattled off Olajuwon, Barkley, Ewing, all these guys, right? And we can go on and on, not to mention the last thrash of Larry Bird and, you know, uh, Magic Johnson, the Lakers, and then having to deal with the bad boy Pistons. When you are the best or the most dominant player in the golden age of a sport— I find it very difficult to put, and it's not anybody's fault, but I think that just puts Jordan on this pedal still where LeBron is, it's not a knock on LeBron, but you can't compare today's NBA to watching those highlights that we've been watching. I think, people will, I think, I think people would fight us and they would win the argument. I think that How? they, I, because we're not paying as close attention as people no, no, are no. now, and the talent is very high right now. It's I'm very, not saying the talent's not high. I'm saying the game is different. I'm saying the physicality of the game is totally different. I'm saying that in order to maybe be so, a, but be great, they could. Uh, the people who watch the NBA every day could, uh, they could probably build an argument against me that I would lose. I would guess if they, if we, I if I know. said, hey, build the argument to me, they could probably give us five, ten players right now that in 10 years are all going to be in the Hall of Fame, too. And we would respect, but we, it's just that we're not paying as close is, as we used to. Five of them, <laughs> or seven of them, are all on the same two teams. That's uh, historically, up until this past year. That has been the problem with the NBA up until recently. This year, it's a little bit more spread out. That's that's my big argument for it. 
probably, I mean, I'd have to dive deeper into it. But yeah, of course, Golden State had that run of, uh, of all the players that are there for sure. All right, uh, we got to take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports today. We got plenty more to come. We're also going to take it some, we'll take a look at some FanDuel win totals today and a couple of really good teams we're going to focus on. So stay tuned for that. You're watching FSC Fantasy Sports today right here on Sports Grid with Craig and Joe. And we'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia here with you. However you're watching the show, whether it is on Pluto TV, Zumo TV, or Stir, any of those apps. Also, you can watch our show on sportsgrid.com and hear the audio version over on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. Uh, interesting note, the other night we're just kind of messing around on social media, on Twitter, and uh, the big boss, Mike uh, Cardano, sends out a tweet asking all of us here, all the hosts at SportsGrid, including me, who do we think would win a fight, Joe? Uh, or what would the odds would be? Actually, I take it back. What are the odds if uh, Mike Tyson ends up making a comeback and fights against Tyson Furry? Not Tyson <laughs> Fury. Tyson <laughs> Furry, which is what uh. Mike Cardano said. So, of course, I gave Mike some crap. And I said, well, uh, he could beat anybody named Furry. I'm not sure about <laughs> I'm not sure about Fozzie. And you know, you know, I went through a whole spiel with that. So, God bless Mike. He uh, took it in style always, but not the best speller in the world, Mike. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, Tyson Furry, F U R R Y. You know, he's got a lot, a lot of, of a going. lot of yelling, a lot of yelling, a lot of yelling, a lot of things he's got to get out there first. So, I mean, so very he's furry, angry Tyson. typing. Well, because, you know, Fury is actually how he types sometimes. So he got the extra R. That, that's right, really right. what happens. That's how he got it. So, <laughs> so, um, look, I mean, I suppose there is a chance that Mike Tyson could could come back. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, toward the end of Mike Tyson's career, it wasn't really good anyway. Like, I'm not really sure where this is going, to be honest with you. Like, does it, everyone just wants to bring him back from the 80s. If we had Doc Brown well, and Phil J. Maybe that would work, but I mean, well, everybody always wants to bring everything back nowadays because that's the society we live in. Everything's member berries, and what was was always so much better than what is. And no one makes any new movies; they just make remakes of old movies that didn't need remakes in the first place. The thing with Tyson is, I mean, he looks like he's in fantastic shape. His hands are still fast, but you know, workout videos are very deceiving. Just like when we see, you know, everybody looks good in shorts in the NFL, right? When everyone's running around and looking around, hey, everyone looks good until you get hit. And that's the hard part. And I think it's very difficult at the age of 53 to come back and be a, a big time prize fighter. Now, that being said, it might be easier in this day and age of boxing than any other, simply because I don't How think old is have, he? I think he said he's 53, I oh, believe. Oh, this is this is a joke. Well, I mean, George Foreman was 48, I believe, when he won the title again. So and George Foreman was not in the shape anywhere near Mike Tyson. And George Foreman was fighting competitively in the you know late 40s into almost 50 and it was an astounding thing but you know George Foreman I can't we can't say the same athlete necessarily at this stage in his life as Mike Tyson now everyone's 53? saying uh, hey man <laughs> I know you work out every day but you don't look like Mike Tyson looks right now have you I, seen the video not, I mean it's an impressive I, it video it doesn't make a difference I don't know what Thank I'm you. saying is this if I think Mike Tyson can always knock out any he could fight Jose Canseco that I would pay money for. But I would say this. Mike Tyson can always, always get a shot in on somebody. So the the fact of, oh, it would be impossible for Mike Tyson to beat Tyson Fury or anybody else, I think is, or Deontay Wilder or anyone, I think that's a little farcical. Because the one thing we know about Mike Tyson is he is explosive. The one thing we also know is a 53-year-old man, I think once you get past that third round, we're probably in trouble. So can you basically avoid Mike Tyson for three rounds and then you'd win the fight? Yeah, probably. But... There's always that danger element because that's what I Mike Tyson know. was. I think it's a joke. Honestly. I don't think it's a joke. I mean, what's he doing it for if it's a joke? I think it's going to end up being a joke. He was not a good fighter at the end of his regular career. But at the he end of his regular losing career, losing every fight. He was, he was, but at the same time, I don't know if his focus was there. Maybe the focus is there. You know, the same could be said of George Foreman at the same set of his career. He was losing every fight at the end when he was in his, what, late 30s. And he did not look like George Foreman. And he left... And then he had this weird renaissance, came back and said, you know what? I want to box again. 
and he was champ. He's not just good. He was champ. So I'm just saying it's it's worth thinking about, and I think it's fun to talk about. It also brings oh, to yeah, mind. Oh, yeah, no, it's interesting to bring, to bring it up. I just I, I yeah. don't give him any chance. I, I would give him a chance to beat, like— I guess here's the big like question. If, if you got Peter McNeely to fight him again, he'd probably— <laughs> Would you watch it? Right now, yes. In two months, no. Somebody brought this up to me the other day. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this on the air or not. Well, whatever, who cares? If, <laughs> if, 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 if it happens— yeah. No filter. I, I, I guess. I guess what's happening is, um, okay. So Floyd Mayweather is gonna fight uh, this guy Logan Paul. Have you heard him? Logan Paul. He's the that. famous YouTuber. He's like a big. Uh, oh YouTuber. no! I yeah. Okay, I know. You're and he became about. a boxer. So I guess they're trying to put this fight together. And that's. I think that's private info. I don't care though. Whatever. If it happens, it happens. You'll remember. And they're trying to do it now. You know, they're trying to do it during the pandemic. Right. And so they're trying That's to find— That's enough time to train and fight Floyd Mayweather. That's brilliant. Well, whatever. So they—and they, they wanted—and the fight would only be online, too. And it would you'd have to have a member—I don't. I heard this cr wacky story because they wanted some, me to get involved with the finances of it. I'm like, what? So, so one of those so, stories where somebody wants you to endorse a shoe. Somebody asked me, <laughs> do I think it's a good idea? I said—and uh, I said, first of all, it's a phenomenal idea if they can get it done in June. Absolutely. If they can train for 30 days and have the fight in June— Without a doubt, you're going to get millions of people purchasing it for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it is online. Absolutely. If you're talking about training for three months and doing the fight in October, November, and going up against all the sports being back, I think it's a nightmare, and you're going to lose your you-know-what. And that was my advice to somebody. I think that's sound fight. advice. I think, personally, I would, right now, be curious to watch Mike Tyson fight somebody. I just oh, like now to see I fight fight, Let's see. Listen, there was a yeah. fight the uh, Jeff Goldblum's lookalike was fighting in the street the other day. I <laughs> saw that video, I'm sure. Uh, are we sure it wasn't really Jeff Goldblum? I mean, he is so versatile. That's anyway, not, okay. look, I, I know that you want to have that renaissance with, with Mike Tyson. I, I just always like Mike Tyson. I think it's a very bad idea. I love boxing, and Mike Tyson wasn't necessarily the greatest boxer in the world. Mike Tyson was an incredible fighter. Mike Tyson was an explosive fighter. Mike Tyson he was, was, and, they, and they're going to take your money, before. Joe, and they're going to fool you again. That's yeah, what boxing you know does. What? Sucker you into that You're hundred bucks. Right. And it is. Oh, go, oh I, my I gosh, what it. I said I want to watch it. I didn't say I wanted to pay for it. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, there's other ways you can get around that, wink, wink. But regardless of that, if it happened, anything that's happened, listen, we're spending time talking about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning playing golf. So Mike Tyson fighting would be a monster event in June. But I would agree. And you know what? Speaking of comebacks, it brings to mind some of the great comebacks in sports. So we have some lists of them here. And uh, George Foreman was one of them. Muhammad Ali, also another great comeback, too. People kind of forget that there was a little bit of a comeback trail for Muhammad Ali. So boxing has a bunch of these comebacks. Uh, Michael Jordan, obviously, the, a great comeback. But really, he was still in his prime in terms of athlete. Uh, Magic Johnson, another one we talked about too, Craig, because just in earlier in the show on this day, right, we talked about him having that game in 96, I believe you said, and uh, Magic Johnson came back and was still a very good player uh, post the HIV announcement and came back and was you know, pretty productive and an all-star too uh, at that time. So uh, pretty good there. And then of course, Tommy John. How about that for a comeback, right? Let's talk about a guy who had a revolutionary surgery and not only came back for himself, but think about the epic comebacks at so many pitchers. Where would pitching be in Major League Baseball right now without Tommy John's surgery? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think we have the uh, career ended for everyone percent of the league. Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> Jamie Moyer would still be pitching right now. If <laughs> Did he have Tommy John? I don't even know. He probably did. He may too, have. Right? Oh, my goodness. But I was just thinking about that right now when we were talking about him. Where would we be? I I mean, just oh, it feels like every rotation has almost one guy at least. I said I, Tommy I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, um, Lemieux is the one that I, comes to mind a lot. I know Favre was just kicking around with a lot of different teams. But Lemieux um, was a really inspirational one. I remember when he had uh, – was it Hodgkins? I don't remember Hodgkins, exactly. Not what Hodgkins, it was. lymphoma, I believe it was. Yeah, and he uh, and he came back, and that was a big moment too. It was. But. It was. Well, in all fairness to Brett Favre, he wasn't kicking around. Brett Favre didn't want to retire. Basically, they forced him out. He got forced out, and then said, "No, nah, I. You know what? I want to play." 
and he, the best chance that he had to play was to force his hand at a trade because they and all he wanted to do was play against the Packers and they weren't going to trade with the division. So he goes and plays for the Jets for a year, you know, takes care of that. That's like your penance, basically. You know, it's like your timeout. And then he goes. And, and he takes the Vikings to uh, NFC Championship game that That's they could have was good won. with Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't just good. He was very good. He was within a play of going to the Super Bowl. And also, don't forget, too, he lost on a co- not only controversial stuff in that game, but that was also the Bounty Gate defense Saints, too, that were headhunting for him. And there were a lot of hits in that game that were questionable. So the, I know the second year there wasn't as good, but that first run there, when they went to the NFC Championship game, they were this close to a Super Bowl. And another one, too. How about Monica Sellis? How many people can say they came back from being stabbed? I mean, not just the physicalness of it, but how about the mental aspect of going out there to do your job and getting stabbed in a tennis court? I mean, I can't imagine the fear factor that involves in that. So I want to throw her in there. That's an incredible there too. In fact, another uh, uh, women's tennis player, Jennifer Capriotti, uh, just basically quit and then came back and and won a few championships after she was gone. Remember, she was a teen sensation and then came back and ended up winning. Um, but yeah, I think some really good uh, ideas there too. Um, you know, Ryan Sandberg ended up retiring, taking a year off, came back, played okay. Uh, Jim Edmonds did the same thing for the St. Louis Cardinals. He retired and then came there's back. another guy. I lost my mind. If you want to see Joe Pizzabia lose his mind Sunday morning, Diamond Bets, I will lose my mind about Jim Edmonds being one and done in the Hall of Fame ballot because it is a travesty. He's one of the great all-around players we've ever been graced to see. And he was one and done on the ballot, Craig. And I still can't get over it. Why? Why are you so upset? Well, I mean, doesn't defense count? Doesn't hitting 30 home runs so many times count? Doesn't be, you know, he's the best statistical center fielder in the Cardinals history. That says something, okay? Not to mention all the great, you know, years he had with Anaheim as well. I mean, Jim Edmonds was, to me... Him and Andrew Jones are the two best center fielders of that era, and there's no doubt about that. Well, uh, Moore wasn't as big, you know. I, I mean, you know what? It doesn't make any sense, though. He should have at least got 5%. You know, uh, like I out. said, the fact that he's one and done was what upset me. That was more than anything that he wasn't even in the discussion. And I think defense does matter, and I think it's time we start acknowledging that. If we can acknowledge Ozzie Smith and light-hitting Ozzie Smith, why don't we acknowledge Keith Hernandez, the best – There's every best – statistical fielder at their respective position is in the Hall of Fame, except for one. And it happens to be Keith Hernandez. So we have to start understanding you play defense for nine innings. I don't, I'm not saying like you have to be, you know, all glove, no stick. Right. But at a certain point, Keith Hernandez with 300 hitter, Keith Hernandez is two world championship rings. And also Keith Hernandez, uh, last time I checked, was MVP in 79. So it wasn't like he couldn't hit far from it. And also used to lead the league in game-winning RBIs. Remember that statistic? Oh, I remember I that. Second that inning. Yeah, that was second inning. You take the lead, you get the game-winning RBI. Game-winning RBI. Hey, man, RBIs are important. It's a lost art form, driving in runs. Let me tell you, lost art. All right, Uh, what we'll do here is uh, keep our art form going by paying some bills (laughs) here on SportsGrid. We've got uh, a commercial timeout. And then coming back next, we're going to take a look at the FanDuel Sportsbook's NFL win totals on the Philadelphia Eagles and New Orleans Saints. And then we'll take a look at an iconic stadium that hasn't been around in a long time. So this is more of a history lesson for you guys on the show. Right here on Fantasy Sports Today, Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. We're back in just two minutes taking a look at some NFL win totals. So don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 